one one of the biggest tips that I would give my like to give to a prospective through hiker buy a smaller pack than you think you're going to need because then you have to force to fit stuff inside of it. If you have 65 liters of space, you'll fill it with something. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what, you will find a way to fill that pack. And I wish I had started with a fifth to 55 like even like the, the Os- I love my Osprey pack and I'm, I'm a big big Osprey fan like so even sticking within that line of packs you just I, I have, downsize it yeah welcome to the hiking through podcast I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is Spur, known off-trail as Jake Carr. He came to the AT with literally no previous experience. Taking it one day at a time, he summited Katahdin five and a half months later. In this episode, we talk about the amazing adventure of it all, trail diversity, and never forgetting the importance of practicing self-love. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy part one of my conversation with Spur. Hey, how you doing? Very good, very good. How about you? Fantastic. It's a fabulous Sunday. I went skiing for the first time yesterday, downhill skiing, and I feel like a semi-truck hit me. I was going to say, how do you feel? (laughs) So sore, super relieved I didn't snap an ankle in half, um... Yeah, that was really fun. And uh, yeah, I had never really been around the opportunity to do it. And I'm, I'm, so I'm up in Fairbanks, Alaska yeah. right now. And we have the furthest North chairlift in North America. So, so check that off. Done, done and done. But yeah, so that was, that, was, that was a good time. But I'm definitely feeling it today <laughs> pretty significantly. I remember those days. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Were, were you a skier? I used to. I, I haven't see, skied since like high school, mm-hmm. but I remember like the first ski of the season, the first trip of the season. You always came back, and you're like basically from hips down. It's oh just yeah, hurt. it's done. <laughs> yep. So, and I'm like already not the most coordinated person in the world. So yeah, I, I mean, I was on my ass the whole time, as to be expected. But it, yeah, I'm feeling it today for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but very good though. That can't be so so different from the through hiking experience though either like being on your feet like that and that is very that's very true well and i thought that like i'm so used to having poles now i you know it becomes like a s- extension of your body that mm-hmm. the tricky thing was i think if i'd been training or if i'd been able to practice somewhere that was a little bit less steep to begin with since as soon as i righted the skis i'm already going down and i didn't right. have I didn't have super control over myself, which is a, definitely something I like about hiking. And well, honestly, especially with the poles, once you get really good at it, you can maneuver around like a ninja through those rocks. And mm-hmm. that's really fun to have such control. This was like, yeah, I don't know, having to totally let go of that. And uh, I don't know how well I do with that. <laughs> Always with that. Yeah. It was fun, but it was a challenge. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I, if you've never skied before, being on something that steep is probably a little terrifying. Yeah, and we were, and I'm not the love, the greatest lover of heights. Like I've always had heights issues, and climbing a lot of mountains definitely helped with that for mm-hmm. sure. But seeing myself, I my heights kicked in more than I thought I they were going to. Like you know, the the stretches where you could sort of see where you are on the mountain and see where you're going, and the steepness of it. I mean, it really, yeah, it it kicked sort of, yeah, just a. <laughs> stomach queasiness that I hadn't dealt with in a minute. Yeah, but yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Definitely a good uh, scary thing I haven't done before. So check. Perfect. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a new, it's a new trend. It's a new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it honestly very much. So it is definitely of the last couple of years, definitely mm-hmm. eight, AT led. I wouldn't be in Alaska if it wasn't for the AT hike. Interestingly. So. Right. So it all kind of comes full circle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The person <laughs> who I'm house sitting for. So I tour directed this past summer up here and the another first year tour director that I was in orientation with grew up in the Fairbanks area. She also through hiked in the AT in 2017. So the same season as me, we started three days apart, never saw each other on the trail, never ran into each other once. So weird. Crazy. We knew, you know, we knew a handful of the same like people from different bubbles that we had mm-hmm. crossed into, but so we met each other this past summer tour directing. I'm now house sitting for her parents in Fairbanks, Alaska. And you know, the reason that we became such good friends was because we could share AT stories ad nauseum and not bore other people with them and just talk about it all day. Yep. So we became really good friends. I met her parents. Now I'm living in Fairbanks, Alaska for the winter, which is like a complete direct extension of the AT in a mm-hmm. totally unexpected way that I yeah could never have planned on. Well, it's sort of like Alaska in general, I think, is a kind of an extension of the AT, but completely unexpected for you. Totally. I had heard about this job, the tour directing job that I had this past summer, and then I'm going to be doing again in a couple months. Mm-hmm. A friend did it a decade ago and told me about it and told me how good of a match I'd be for it and that it just... Like I, I have experience um, as a teacher and I'm um, an, an actor in Chicago. So I'm those things combined really well for tour directing. Um, yeah. Particularly like the teaching part. And it was something that had been on my docket for about a decade. Bef- and I always had a good excuse why not to do it. You know, things are going well with work, which was sometimes true and sometimes something that I was <laughs> just telling myself or things were and then I you know I I got married and that took priority in my life for a little bit and there was always just a reason not to take five months off and go to Alaska for the summer and Mm -hmm. then as the AT was winding down and I was thinking you know what am I going to do it just popped in my head of just why haven't I applied for this thing that I have known about for so long and have just gotten so good at making excuses why not to go for it and and I applied and I got the job and it was a blast and I made really good money and I met really cool people and got to just see so much of Alaska, which is insanely beautiful. And I never been up here before. So it was also kind of like a little mini vacation for me when I was up here for the first time. Yeah. So I, I honestly, were it not for the AT and were it not for me starting to think outside the box that I built of what I thought my life was going to look like, I would never have applied for this job. I would have. Mm-hmm continued hearing about it and continue seeing the applications roll around every September and continued thinking, yeah, sometime in the future, that would be fun. I never would have pulled the trigger if it wasn't yeah. for this. Yeah. I mean, once you've taken five, five and a half months off to hike the AT, what's your excuse for not taking 
another five months for something, particularly if it's going to pay you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, particularly, yeah, getting paid to travel completely. (laughs) So, yeah. So you're the go-to guy. You're my now go-to guy to ask about... uh, traveling around Alaska. Please do. I <laughs> I have a decent sense of it. It's I mean, it, it's crazy to think that last summer when I started, I knew so little about it. I I mean, I, you know, I'd researched the state and but it was a new line of work for me. I'd never tour directed before and it was a new place that I'd never like tour directed mm-hmm. in, so it was a, a pretty steep learning curve at the very beginning, but I mean, 95% of the job is just being a pleasant person for people to be around. And then uh, you have, you figure out all the details about where you are second. And um, I'm super excited to go into this summer just feeling like I have some expertise in the state now. I mean, it's like two and a half times the size of Texas. I've still only been to a... A fraction. Yeah, but so beautiful, incredible hiking. I've gotten to do some just yeah wild hiking and backpacking up here. Nice. Yeah, let me know. Seriously, if you're ever in Alaska, I have thoughts. <laughs> Believe me, I, besides for doing the PCT in 2020, I have this grand plan in my head of doing uh, like a cruise up to Alaska, mm-hmm. doing a like touring around Alaska a little bit, see some sites, and then doing a road trip from Alaska down into Canada and across, literally across Canada to Montreal. That's right like on. this big. So cool. Vision I know in my somebody head. who did that. Um, oh, really? that I tour directed with did that. Um, or I forget what the connection was this summer, but I, I met someone who did that and said it was stunning. Like, loved it. Well, then yeah. that's another person I need to talk to, yeah. apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've done some cross-country U.S. drives, um, mm. but I've never... And, and we part of the tours that I direct, we go into the Yukon territory, so the, you know... So you cross West- the border. Yeah, we go. Yeah, it's a um, there's a lot of like gold rush history sort of yeah. woven into like the tour packages. So they uh, that was the spot for it. So yeah. I've really uh, of that part of Canada, all I've really gotten to see is the Yukon, and it's just vast, open yeah. wilderness. I mean, some like uh, overlooks that you fe- you can see for just. I mean, I'm terrible mm-hmm. at estimating distance, but just tens and tens of miles. <laughs> like it's just yeah, wild. Yeah, a little, probably a little bit more like what you get on the PCT and the and the CDT, but not necessarily on the AT. I think that um, on the AT was when more when you start getting up into Maine. Okay. Well, but, uh, closer to the White Mountains in New England in general. So in New Hampshire and even in Vermont a little bit, you start getting it. But yeah, there were some really just. Even though I'd already been living in the months or the the woods for five months, even still, when I got to Maine, some of the times when you get on top of those mountains and you look around and see nothing but wilderness, not a maybe a dirt access road, but, you know, not a tower, not a power line, not a road, not a car as far in a 360 degree view. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. took my breath away. Like it didn't matter how long I'd been living there. It still was just... So, but you're, you're absolutely right though. That was definitely smaller sections generally. Um, yeah. Even when you're in the mountains, you still see lots of other rolling hills around you and stuff like that. So how, what was your, like seeing that Yukon uh, aside, but on the AT, like 360 degree, there's nobody except potentially some people with you on the trail. I mean, it felt so empowering. It's particularly it, like in, when it was coming up in the main sections, just, I, I don't know if I ever felt more capable in my whole life. And, you know, I, when I, had st- I think I told you this, but when I had started 
prepping for the AT a couple months before I left. I had never camped. I had never backpacked. Yeah. I'd gone on some like six or seven mile hikes a couple times, but so I just had, <laughs> the, this was not my life or my world whatsoever. And there were these very tangible times, particularly in Maine, when I accomplished so much. And then you, especially if you're by yourself and you can't see or hear anything other than like wind and some birds. It sounds, you know, cheesy, but I felt on top of the world. I yeah. felt just so capable. Like I, I got myself to this spot in the middle of nowhere. I can't believe that I am here right now. Yeah. <laughs> Cir- I mean, circling back to like what you were literally just saying. So, you know, you started planning for it a couple months before you left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had shared with me, but also, you know, you've shared also on your on your blog that yeah. kind of what led you to to the AT was your divorce and, you know, or separation and and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. How did that kick kick you into yeah. the AT? Like, how did Absolutely. that inspire you to take five months off and, and yeah. walk your way up to Maine? Yeah, well, well, just decided to like run away and live in the woods for a little bit. Very Emerson so, of you, right? Yeah, or I mean, Thoreau. Yeah, so a lot. It turns, you know, it turns out all those people that wrote about how transformative nature is <laughs> since the beginning of time, they've all been right. <laughs> it turns out. They knew something. <laughs> they did. Yeah. So in 2016, I moved. I so yeah, I was a, an actor and I'm starting a playwriting, you know, part of my career as well in Chicago for about a decade. I moved there right after I graduated from college and taught at an acting conservatory there. Had my whole life sort of settled in Chicago. My ex husband, husband at the time, got into a PhD program in Berkeley. So we moved to the Bay Area, and it was. Um, and one of the things that I was most looking forward to about getting out there, you know, there was a lot of really scary things about transitioning my career and going to a place that I didn't know anybody and those things. But I was so looking forward to getting to hike because the Bay Area is just surrounded. There's Redwood Forest, yeah. a 10 minute drive away from Oakland, where I lived. And I was so excited to finally have that sort of in my worldview. I, I grew up in the Cleveland area and then went and then lived in Chicago. And it's, you know, it's they're you know good cities, but it's very flat. You don't it's really different. get different. It's very different. Uh, the you know wilderness is a very different concept, and I was so looking forward to getting to just be in the heart of some good California outdoorsiness and be around people mm-hmm. who could show me things and who could point me to point me in the direction and to get to do that with you know my partner. I was super excited about that. So unfortunately, not long after I got out to California, I found out that my husband had cheated on me in the past, was in a relationship with somebody else. And there were some financial things that took place that really sort of ripped the rug out from underneath my life. And I was in a place that I knew next to no one working a survival job that I got just because I I needed to work in the Bay Area is insane, (laughs) you know, unreal cost of living. Yeah. So, you know, I was working 50 plus hour weeks just to scrape by a weekend hike that I could look forward to on a Saturday became my therapy. It became one thing that I could count on every week that would bring me some peace and quiet in a lot of chaos. And so I continued hiking and I and that had all happened relatively quickly after I moved out to California. And there was a, you know, a, a, a moment that I will never forget that sort of was like, I think the initial spark that led to the AT. My, when we had been at some social gatherings, my ex-husband had said to groups of people, 
in relation to hikes that I had been on with him and also this person that I later on found out Mm -hmm. he was having an affair with, the three of us would go hiking and he would tell people, oh yeah, my, me and this other guy went hiking this weekend. And he would always cut me out of the story, which I then, you know, fit into other patterns. But the day, so the day after my husband left me, the next morning, he came back to the apartment to get some stuff. And I was getting, I was going hiking with a couple friends and he, he was, you know, he wanted to talk and all I wanted to do was go be in the woods. And I felt so much like, he, you know, he knew that nature was a huge part of what I was looking forward to in California. And I felt as though he really, in a lot of ways, stole that away from me. And Mm -hmm. the day after he left me, I made a commitment to myself of like, this is not something you will take. This is mine. And this is special for me. And I'm going to have this. And I don't care what you do with the rest of your life. I'm going to go hiking. And I went hiking the next day with a couple friends. And I started going on weekly hikes from that point on, slightly longer distances, maybe slightly more challenging terrain. And I felt totally lost for a couple months. Of, I just, Absolutely. Oof, I had no idea what to do. I knew I wasn't ready to move back to Chicago. I was not in the right headspace for that. And, you know, and I, there were also, I, I had sort of plateaued in my career in Chicago. And I was looking forward to sort of jumpstarting myself again. And then when I came back to the city, coming back fully energized. And I never got that battery recharge. If anything, I was further more depleted yeah. than I was when I even left. So there was like going back to Chicago just at that point wasn't in the cards. And I thought maybe like now's a good time to go to grad school. But I didn't want to do it just because it was convenient. I wanted, you know, I want to get a master's when it's obviously such a commitment when I'm fully, fully ready for it. And just, yeah. well, it's something I could do. It's an escape. Exactly. And that's what I would have been using it for completely. And I've had friends tell me that they have done that and that they deeply regret it. And I should, you know, I want to learn from that. And so a friend of mine, somebody that I've known since childhood, I was just talking to her on the phone one night, made a lot of cross-country phone calls because I had only a couple friends in the Bay Area. So I was talking to a lot of people from back home and stuff. And my friend Gina, who always is doing wild things, just offhandedly mentioned, you could hike the Appalachian Trail joke. I had maybe heard the words before, and this this was the like uh, September or October before I left. I had maybe like heard the words Appalachian Trail, but I didn't know anything. Right. And you know, so she said it kind of as a joke, and then I the next day at work, I just was like, well, like you know, let me type into Google. So what's what's what is this? And soon my Google search history just filled with every combination of Appalachian Appalachian Trail backpack, Appalachian Trail what happens to your feet, Appalachian Trail rain, <laughs> like anything that I could think of. Soon became all of my googling, and and then yeah, it was and then Black Friday was coming up. Um, after th- like, you mm-hmm. know, it was just a little before Thanksgiving at this point. Yeah. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I need to, I own nothing. I don't own a backpack. <laughs> I, 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 I had a pair of sunglasses. I'm like, I could take these with me. This is, this is my bi- like beginning gear. I have one thing. I pair found of REI. Yeah. Ready. REI had some basic list of, uh, yeah. you know, a, a checklist, AT checklist thing. And I'm like, you know, if I'm going to, I was already in such financial straits and I was going to have to take out lo- loans to be able to do the hike to begin with. And if I'm going to buy everything from scratch, Black Friday through the end of the year with like, especially REI's end of year discount earrings yeah. things, I'm never going to find this stuff for less money than now. So like it was when Black Friday rolled around. I'm like, listen, if I'm going to do it, A, I have four months or f- two or five months to 
move across the country, like leave California, get all of my stuff and my cats to my parents' house in Cleveland, and then go down to Georgia. And there was already, even on top of AT, there were just a lot of logistics I needed to happen in my life at that point, finishing all of the divorce documents, which was a nightmare, you know, just, oh my God. I mean, turns out divorce sucks. And uh, (laughs) spoiler, but, um, cut to the, cut to the end of the story. It sucks. (laughs) Oh, God. So there, I, I, my brain was already being pulled in a million different directions. And I was just like, well, yeah, if I'm going to do this, now needs to be the time because I need to start buying things. I need to start mm-hmm. trading. I need to figure out how to set up a tent. So, yeah, that was kind of that was kind of what did it. And once I made the decision, I just I went all in and didn't have a plan B. <laughs> right. You just started basically because it becomes the investment. Yeah, completely. My time investment, my energy investment, my money, my fine. It was, it, I, tr- I truly used the last of my life savings to do it. Yeah. Yeah. These, these things are not cheap. No, you know, and I, and I definitely plan to do the PCT. And I have, obviously, I think I just have such a clearer idea of exactly what gear I need. And there were so many things I bought to start off with that I eventually ended up having to upgrade to a lighter version or a... <laughs> You know, you pay for what you get. And I, 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 I skimped on some money to buy like a maybe more value item, but mm-hmm. then realized that I needed something that was half the bulk for coat wise or whatever. And then I had to spend all spend this money keep upgrading stuff. And just to be able to start off knowing what you, everybody will change their gear all the time, but yeah. To be able to change based on preference and not based on, oh, I bought the completely wrong thing. Yeah, that'll be a big money saver for the next through hike. <laughs> like what kind of things were some of those for you? Yeah, so definitely a coat. I did not budget enough money for a job. Like when I was sort of doing my breaking down what money I had mm-hmm. in my bank account to what I could. And, and, I, and I should also say in transparency, like... I also, at that very low point in my life, realized how incredibly fortunate I was to be surrounded by friends and family who loved me and were really worried about me on the other side of the country. And people, when they heard what I was doing, and these are people who have never known me to be outside for anything, but when people heard me that that this is what I was doing, different friend groups from different parts of my life chipped in together to buy me REI gift cards. They believed you. Yeah, they invested in me. And like, that was definitely something that I thought about on hard days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one one of my friends had just gotten like, a new sort of big boy job to say kind of just like a really yeah. big step up in his career. And with his first Christmas bonus, he like bought my pack for me. And, nice. that, you know, I so I should also say that as far as I, it's fair to say, because I know people are like, how did you pay for this? And how did you financially make it happen? I used a lot of my money and also was very fortunate to be surrounded by people who loved me and wanted to help me get through a hard time. And yeah, so I think that's important to know. But yeah, so when I was initially budgeting, I didn't think about setting enough, a couple hundred dollars aside for a coat. I figured I could get a coat for, you know, a little coat. Yeah. I mean, the coats cost more than the tents, really. (laughs) Maybe not. That's maybe an exaggeration, but it's it's probably pretty equivalent if you're going for a ghost whisperer. Yeah, true. I mean, you know, and like, I mean, mountain hardware coats or, you know, the really high end coats, they're two, 300 bucks. And yeah. so I just, I bought a, a, I bought a coat. I didn't buy anything that I think were like outright 
moronic purchases, but I bought things that would have been fine on a hiking trip, not on a through hiking trip. Right. The, the Columbia jacket that I bought would have been totally fine if I was just going into the woods for a week, but mm-hmm. it was way too bulky for what I needed it to be. And I didn't realize that until I got out there, you know, and so like the, the, the coat was a definitely an upgrader I'm trying to think what else along the way, what about, like sleeping bag or yeah, I kept my whole sleeping system. I did have okay. to, I, I, for whatever reason, popped several holes in my pads more so than the people around me. I don't know how or why or what, <laughs> but like my pads just perforated. So I definitely, they're so expensive. And like, especially if you have to buy like one time it popped and I was in a little trail town and you sort of at the mercy of what they had at their little outfitter. And it was mm-hmm. so in, in New England, the prices of stuff just get so inflated. And it was like through such gritted teeth that I bought that sleep. But I, I'm a really restless sleeper. So like I need to have a comfy sleeping situation and there was no choice that I had to buy it. And, uh, but I definitely, yeah, got it, got into some pad replacement money things. Were you doing like a, a, a Thermarest Neo Air, uh, X-Lite kind of I thing? I started or? with, um, a Nemo. Um, Nemo. Okay. yeah. So I started with a Nemo and then finished with the Big Agnes. Got it. Okay. The Big Agnes was, so the, the very similar, like both of them are that, you know, that blow up style. They roll mm-hmm. up into the size of about an Nalgene bottle. Yeah. You know, the Big Agnes one was too loud. It, it was too crinkly for me. I, you know, as, as comfortable as it was, it made, yeah, too loud of sounds. So I bought just recently, and I've only used it once, but I liked it so far, a, a climate brand like K-L-Y-M-I-T. I know Amazon sells it and a couple other places sell climate brand mm-hmm. stuff, but a, a, a pad that was a little bit on the cheaper end price-wise, but I've also had issues with like the longevity of these pads anyway. So I'm like, if I, I, I guess to say I'm going to be spending the money. If you're going to have to keep re- <laughs> yeah. purchasing it, then. So I, but I, I've only used it once, but I, that seems to be a that pretty comfy thing. And I, and I liked my Nemo. Um, it was, you know, on the pricier end, but it was, I was maybe like, a, I think I got it on sale at REI for maybe like a little over right around a hundred, mm-hmm. but yeah, it perforated. Um, little gets his little like tiny little pinhole, so it slowly deflates over the night, which is so like a bummer. Then you like wake up like on rocks, and you're like something's not something's not right. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, and I, and I had an REI bag that I it was it was like the Igneo, which was a super popular one. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard people say. I'm, uh, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I loved it. No issues, no complaints. Super happy with it. It still is. It still kind of has that vague foot and dirt smell that probably will never maybe i would need to like get a dry clean to fully get it out but it's still in great condition like that it, i am sh- actually sort of of all the things that i use on a daily basis that sleeping bag held up like titanium i mean I, mm. very very impressed with that purchase and i don't i think that it's out of uh isn't it like um discontinued now or there's a new model of it or something there's probably a new model of it yeah but yeah i, I loved it it's far as packability and uh, and all all of the things i needed i was never too cold even in even in snow it kept me toasty kept warm mm-hmm. so yeah where did, was... where did you run into snow up in so down south and it was still, still the beginning yeah i started the last week of march and actually the it, had i started a week or two earlier they got some bigger snows as well but I, I'm now I'm trying to remember. I believe it was after we had crossed into uh, North Carolina, so not long after the first state crossing, maybe a hundred or so ish miles. 
yeah, we in the mountains in the south. It's because you're still, you know, it's it's the south and it's starting to get into summer, but you're still pretty elevated and can be very windy up there. So yeah. I, I would say the coldest it got for us were a couple nights, maybe in the upper teens. Okay, so it's cold. Still for sure cold, yeah. And that was that we only had snow for about three or four days. It wasn't it wasn't too too much, but there was one big storm that hit when we were in the mountains and everybody was sort of like I don't know, scrambling to figure out how to reacclimate to this. Well, how did you keep warm? I mean, you wouldn't have necessarily had I mean, you have your hiking clothes with you and your sleeping bag and what have you, but those are pretty limited. It's not like you've got, you know, winter pants and, and that kind of yeah. stuff. And then you get hit surprisingly, so yeah, I had, and that was a time, you know, I had the bulkier coat still, the the Columbia jacket that I started uh-huh. off with, which was a little overkill for what I needed. But actually, in that moment, I ended up getting rid of it not <laughs> too long afterwards, but I was very happy to have it at that second. But when you're hiking, like when you're moving, you generate such body heat. So like it was, there was only ever really an issue when you stopped for a little while to eat or to get water or, you know, there were some particularly strong gusting winds i guess on mm-hmm. some ridge lines that could definitely just sort of cut right into you but once when it came to actually like when when i was when i stopped moving so we sort of strategically tried to hit up the shelters at that section so they're first come first serve you know they fit between like six and twelve ish people mm-hmm. little three-sided structures i i was not particularly a fan of staying in them in general i really only use them as sort of weather dictated sometimes um, if like if I had gotten to camp and didn't have time to set up in a rainstorm and there was room in the shelter, why bother setting up a wet tent if I could just crawl in? Um, oops, somebody's phone's going off. Sorry. So I guess yeah, once we were huddled into the shelter that night, it's just you're just kind of huddled together with each other for warmth, and everybody was just wearing everything they had, pulled up in a little, just kind of having your sleeping bag and. Yeah, it was one of you. those sort of surreal things. I, I, I know it's not like a exciting answer, but just put on everything and cocooned up inside the sleeping bag and cuddled mm-hmm. or like with next to strangers for a little bit. But I love the snow. I mean, I, and I grew up by, by like snowy areas, so the snow isn't. Uh, I guess some some people it wasn't hated scary. Those days. No, no. It, some people just really, really were grumpy. Some people quit at that. That that was a quitting point for a handful of people, even a, a, around the bubble that I was in. Were just like, I'm out. I'm done. You know, and sure, you know, it is what it is. But yeah. it was so. I thought it was so beautiful, and it was such a change of scenery. Getting to see all the rolling hills covered in snow and all like that was before any before. It was still when a lot of trees were bare, like leaves were just starting to grow back. So like all the spindly trees covered in mm-hmm. snow and ice. I just thought it was beautiful. There's nothing like a, a fresh blanket of white snow across no. everything. No. And like, especially getting up early in the morning. There's, all, you know, morning woods have such a sound to begin with, but particularly on like a really cold, crisp day where you can kind of hear the crispness in the air. Yeah. I, I, I loved it. <laughs> I, it. You could wax was- poetic. Yeah, it was it was sort of miserable in the morning, I guess, just to be honest, like when you wake up and your shoes have sort of their because they're already wet, they just freeze and contract into like little hard frozen balls and you need to like yank the shoes apart just to jam your foot in. That was not a fun part of the day, <laughs> I would say. But once my shoes sort of reformed themselves around my foot, th- then then I got really, really into it. And, and it's, it's kind of similar to the thing of being on the mountains in Maine. It was like 
I felt so prepared and so capable. And it feels so cool to be like, I am in this situation and I have everything on my back that I need. And I plan for this and I have the stuff and I, I'm, I'm doing it. So like the snow days for me felt like a man, I'm really doing it day. <laughs> yeah. It's you can real. take on the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else did you drop or switch out? Like, were you happy with all your clothes? Do you feel like you took too many clothes with you? I definitely started with too many clothes. Oh, in general, I started with too much stuff. I, I would say to begin with, my base weight was probably around, my base weight was probably around like 40 pounds, then plus water your and food. base weight? Oh, yeah. I mean, what I- What the hell did you have with you, Jake? Who's to say? <laughs> like, I mean, just too much stuff. Maybe, maybe that's a little high. Maybe it was like in like the mid thirties before food and water, but it was a lot. That is a lot. You know, it was, it was, uh, a, bul- a bulkier coat that I needed and a tent that to me seemed really small, but I used with the, the MSR Hubba NX, like the little MSR single solo tent. And now mm-hmm. there's a lightweight version of that tent too, which I would be kind of curious to look at, but, or an ultralight version of that tent, but. It was just, to me, it was the smallest tent that I had ever seen. When it showed up in the Amazon box, I thought they must have forgotten something. But then I got out onto the trail and saw that it was twice as big as a big Agnes tent. So it was like mm-hmm. that and just, and too much clothes and too, too much food to start off with. Cause like my, my metabolism hadn't kicked in yet. So too, I guess too much of that, just little odds and ends. What was your pack? Uh, the... Atma six or the uh, sorry Osprey Atma sixty five. So, so you had some extra weight there too, and totally. And you know, I wouldn't have one one of the biggest tips that I would give my like to give to a prospective through hiker: buy a smaller pack than you think you're going to need, because then you have to force to fit stuff inside of it. If you have sixty five liters of space, you'll fill it with something, yeah. and it doesn't matter what you will find a way to fill that pack. And I wish I had started with a fifth. D to 55, like even like the, the, I love my Osprey pack and I'm, I'm a big, big Osprey fan. Like, Mm -hmm. so even sticking within that line of packs, you just downsize it. Yeah. Like the, uh, the Exos I think is a 48 liter. Um, that was a really popular one. So I, I still would have gone Osprey. I have back issues and like, it is really good back support. And like, I like the way that the belt fits on my hips. So like the, the, the brand was right. I just had, I had no idea. So yeah, uh, just, just little, I, I don't know. I brought like a tiny little like lantern with me. And I mean, the, the size of a small apple. So like, it wasn't big, <laughs> you know, but like the, similarly, it's the kind of thing. If I was just going week car camping, this would be the tiniest little light that you could possibly bring for a car camping trip for through hiking. It was massively huge, you know, an extra pair of gloves or a little, just little, little odds and ends things that you don't think add up to 10 pounds of weight. But then like I I did a shakedown at Neil's Gap, which is the first, it's like about a week or maybe like five, five to seven days into the hike. You pass, like the trail passes through an outfitter. There's like a big arch. (laughs) And they're like, okay, come on. So, and that's a big place. And they'll do free shakedowns where you go through every single thing in your pack. Even like take take the pills out of the bottles. Can you send half of these? Can you just put the pills in a Ziploc bag? Right. Can you partition the pills out and resupply them as you need them? Or, you know, all that kind of stuff. I sent home five pounds that day of stuff. Wow. Just little, little things that just added up that you don't think, ah, just an extra spork. It weighs two ounces. It's not bothering anybody, but it doesn't need it. You don't need it. You only need one, you know? 
Yeah. So just all those tiny, I wouldn't say that there was really anything that was like one massive thing. It was all, it was all the little bits. Yeah. Which is how it usually works. (laughs) Sure. There's not one big thing that you can point to and say, okay, if I get rid of that, it's all good. Right. I need to get rid of a piece of that and a part of that and some of this and. Mm -hmm. Totally. So I I cut it down. I mean, Mm -hmm. by the time I finished the hike, I had sent the, you know, there was a brain on the pack. I sent the brain home. I didn't need that storage space. I was, I forget how many liters that was, five to 10 liters. I was gone. And then. um, So what was your base weight when you got finished? I completely stopped weighing my pack. Once I got started, I never weighed my pack again. So I, to be honest, I have no idea. I maybe I stuck it on a scale at one point just to see like, had this has this drastically gone down in weight? Yes, good job. I didn't pay attention to weight of the stuff at all. Yeah, some people obs- like could could tell Obsessed. you. I'm sure you could ask somebody three years ago on Tuesday, March seventeenth. <laughs> what did your pack weigh? And people would know. I am not one of those people. <laughs> so I wasn't. I, I would. I would say. I, I wouldn't say I'm the opposite of, you know, ultralight hiking, but comfort for me is important. I want a little tiny little pillow. If it's going to make me comfortable at night, I'll carry a tiny little inflatable pillow Mm -hmm. with me. I'd rather be comfortable. So what would you consider your luxury item or items? Hmm. Your tiny little pillow? (laughs) I mean, probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't need, honestly, I don't know. That is something that I, I am, I am a restless sleeper. I'm an insomniac in regular life. So that having a sleep system that feels comfortable wasn't that that for me was pretty, I guess, essential. I probably had more. I, t- I had I always carried a journal with me. Right. I, yeah, I journaled every day and I carried a book with me before I left. I bought Stephen King's It, the you know, the clown book. <laughs> um, uh-huh. It's 1500 pages. It's huge. So I cut it into fifths. So I, okay. I, and then I mailed, I would have my, you know, mom at home, like mail me the next fifth when I was ready for it. So I, I didn't finish it. It's such a long book, but I got through about 800 pages of it on the trail, which was felt pretty good. So I always had a book with me, which, you know, that's, that's, that's comforty. Probably an extra pound of Skittles. I, I brought, <laughs> I brought so many Skittles with me everywhere I went. And I don't think I ever left a Walmart without at least one pound thing of Skittles. So that's my answer actually luxury item skittles (laughs) extra skittles i love it yeah Yeah. at least it's consumable yeah you know it went away and then i just bought more actually it never really went away there was always a pound of skittles in my backpack pretty much it was part of my base weight but yeah i I guess my books and my leisure things like that you know Mm -hmm. my little battery charge to charge my phone yeah things that made the trail comforting mm-hmm. comfortable sort of absolutely you're you're removed like i you know total respect to people that try to do it with as little as po- like as minimalistic as possible it's just a very it's a total different mindset you know and hike your own hike etc do your thing yeah. And, yeah, yeah and and i hope you nail it for me you're just you're so removed it was just such a new world for me and i was just away from everything that was comfortable and comforting to me that to just anything yeah that made me feel cozy in a way there was even if it if it was maybe i don't know there was one sort of smart wool sweater that i kept for a little while that i didn't need and eventually i got rid of it and i because i had something else i could it was like my camp what i wore at camp right i just found something else that i could that would do the same function for half the weight but 
it just felt nice the night after a long day of hiking to like put on that cozy sweater. And there's something about that when you're just from everything that, you know, just to sit around that fire and that sweater, that, that that's worth the way. It made you happy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Particularly when you're hiking that many miles, when your body is that sore, when your feet are that sore, mm. when you're constantly hungry, those little things that make you happy. Yeah. You got to treat yourself when you can treat yourself. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have anybody shaming you for the weight of your pack and how much oh, stuff you were absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. There's a lot. There's definitely, you know, there's, it's not, it is not a judgment-free zone. The trail is not a judgment-free zone. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I just learned to totally zone it out. I, you know, cause especially early on when I was, when I was so bulky and people would make comments and I would say it wasn't, it was not like you're getting barraged by comments. And also people, everybody is so self-conscious when you're starting. You think that everybody's looking at you, but everybody's so in their own heads about their lives, you know, mm-hmm. but when I would get the, you know, the comments of a bulkiness thing, I'm just like, I have never camped before last week. I'm here right now. And we started at the same time. So why aren't you ahead of me? Was the mm-hmm. mentality that I had. There, there was this handful of people toward, like, I got up into this bubble in the last third of these people who were super, super ultralight hikers. And g- good people, fine people, nice people, very pleasant people to be around, talked about their packs and talked about their gear and talked about their weight pretty consistently and constantly. And that, and, right. I, and that, and no shade to that. That's great. No issue with that at all. But they would make then judgmental comments. They would judge each other about, oh, like, that extra jar of peanut butter and it was you know what are you doing with that and it was sort of couched as a joke but was sort of not a joke and they would make yeah. comments and i'm just thinking like we're i have been on pace with you guys for this <laughs> as far as i'm to understand part of the reason that you do this is that you should be doing more mileage you're getting you know you're putting less wear and tear on your body if this is so transformative to every part of your life I just don't understand because I'm not a super fast hiker. So it just, I don't know that in my, and I never said that out loud, but at least in my mind, that sort of helped pop some of the ego bubbles of other people of just like, we're actually on even totally even footing. We are moving at exactly the same pace, which means what you are doing is not better than what I'm doing. And what I'm doing is not better than what you're doing. Um, But yes, definitely get comments. You get it. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) You hear about it. You do. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's true, unfortunately. But yeah. you just learn to tune the people out that you don't. There's so many mm-hmm. cool people. Uh, you just you are just left and right. You are meeting people that you could have just the most rich conversations with. When you find somebody who sucks, you just gotta learn. It's just like turn the volume down. Great, safe. <laughs> oh, oh wow, you hiked 20 miles today in two hours. You're a superhero. Congratulations. Right. Turn the volume down. <laughs> just don't need to listen. I'll go. You know. Smile and nod. Good. Turn the volume down. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of all things trail like that, you were a solo hiker to start with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it sounds like from your journals that you did hike primarily with at least a couple of people for most, if not all of the trail. Is that correct? Yeah. So I made, I met a trail family or sort of, I, I, I grouped up with a trail family about a weekend. And one of the guys was somebody who I met the first day. And then somebody else, somebody that I met on the third day, and then we met a couple other people. We kind of glommed together and spent a little, uh, spent a chunk of time together. And then 
I met up and then sort of we, somebody would hurt their ankle and have to stay behind or somebody had family visiting and needing to get off the trail for a second. And you just kind of, at a certain point, like that initial trail family, our paces and sort of like goals just changed. And a couple of them I didn't meet up with again. A couple of them I did meet up with again later down the line. And one of the guys, the guy that I met on the third day, his trail name, Tallboy, we ended up finishing together. And I, I would say overall, like over the course of the whole thing, we probably were with each other for over half of it. Okay. But we also would d- diverge for chunks of time. But we, we met up with each other again. I think it was in New Hampshire. Was it after the whites or before? Mm. Well, we met up with each other again towards the end. And we like then committed. Okay, we're on pace. We're, we're going to finish this. this together. We're going to finish together. And then you sort of yeah, make that commitment. But it's just, you know, along the way, it's kind of no hard feelings. You got to you got to you really got to roll with your momentum, like whatever pace you feel good at both within the day, just your daily hiking, you got to move at the pace that feels good. But also in relation to the whole marathon, you got to go what feels good. And if people are moving way too fast for you, you got to know when to say, sorry, guys, I just need to move slower. Maybe we can meet up at that other town. I'll try to catch up with you, but I can't gas myself out. And if other people need to stick behind, you just got to wish them the best and wave and smile and text and keep up if you want. But you got to go. So I, I definitely bounced kind of between different bubbles of people over time. Okay. But yeah, there there were a handful of people who generally speaking were on pace with me for most of the trail. We're sort of around you mm-hmm. and you you interact with them kind of. Yeah. And but I was not with a family, a trail family the whole time. Right. And, and then I, I, I found myself in a couple bubbles that were f- pretty full of solo hikers that were in a similar sort of situation with me, like totally enjoy, like loving the company of everybody around, but also kind of ready to do their own thing and move at the pace that they need to move at and hit their own personal goals. So we would just kind of, you just never know, but you just, it's strange. You think you, some people you, you think you're going to see later that night and you never see again. And there's some people that you think your pace is so different from them. And then they show up every night. And it's, and it's, it's the weirdest thing, the mechanic, the, the quantum mechanics of how, where people are in relation is so strange, but yeah, I, I was, uh, I would, I would bounce around kind of a bit and of the actual hiking hours, I would say I hiked about 70 to 80% of it by myself. And then I would meet up with friends for lunch or for camping or whatever, but the actual hiking miles, some days you get into a great conversation with somebody and you'll just talk for 10 hours and it's a miraculous day. But then there's also, I don't know, generally speaking, I like to move with a pace that feels good for me. And hiking in tandem is brings a whole other element of challenge to it. So particularly when I was feeling like a lot of pain in my feet, I didn't want to worry about having to explain my pace to anybody else. I wanted to be able to move at whatever like crawl I needed to. Or or feel responsible for entertaining somebody. Totally. And, you know, th- then there's also that wonderful thing, especially when you've been with people for like months if not you know other time but where you can just be in the really comfortable i love a comfortable silence with people that you feel comfortable with where you can just be even friends that you're just hanging out with at somebody's apartment and you can be in the same room each doing your own thing a comfortable silence can be so nice and so familiar and so yeah there'll be also times when i'd be with people and we would be moving at the same pace but we just wouldn't talk for hours and it's great that was good it's totally good but but yeah generally during the day i was solo hiking. You made a comment on your journal about learning or taking responsible for not pushing yourself to try to keep up with somebody Mm -hmm. or try to keep Mm -hmm. up with people. Mm -hmm. How long 
did it take you to to work to work through that yeah. and or to become comfortable with that idea of okay I can I can hike what I need to hike today. I would say that that realization was dawning on me a couple weeks in when I started having my first I would say bout of significant like ankle pain. Yeah, it was the, the, the it was particularly on my left foot, sort of the the top of my foot. I have really high arches and mm. The top of my foot and then sort of the front portion of my right ankle. It just every I was worried that I was getting tendonitis or like the beginning of a shin splint or something. And every step really hurt. And it was one of the first really big like mental roadblocks that I had to get through. And that was when I was with this group of people that was sort of my trail family at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was it was almost more so there had been some days when I would push myself really fast. Like two of them in particular were just very fast, much faster hikers than me. So I would it, it eventually our pace came to be that I would leave an hour or more before them in the morning because they would catch up with me by lunch anyways. I So, you know, we, we figured out how to make our paces work with each other. But I just had to be very bluntly honest with myself and just be like, listen, boo, you are in pain. You, you, you just can't this. It's a simple thing, but this is a marathon, not a sprint. I yeah. need, I just couldn't, I, I reached a point of maybe, yeah, maybe about two weeks in where I just, I could not keep up with them. So then I had to take a deep breath and realize that these people are great. And especially if we already had plans to meet up somewhere, they will be there when I get there. It just might take me another three hours to get there than them because I'm having to go that slow. And Mm -hmm. I I would say one of the biggest things I took away from the hike in in general in in relation to this question is how how do I talk to myself when I'm feeling challenged? Like what is my self, my my inner conversation? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'm incredibly impatient with myself. I set my unrealistic expectations for when things should be done. If I don't accomplish something, I beat myself up or I compare myself to other people negative, like negatively in my favor. And yeah, I, I, I can be a real jerk to myself in my head sometimes. And uh, that was one of those moments that coming to terms of like, you got to let them be where they're going to be ahead of you was me realizing that f- as much as this trail was going to be about the weather challenges and the pain challenges, it was going to be more so about how do I talk to myself when I am challenged? How do I treat myself? Am I a cheerleader? Or am I like, kicking my own ass for no reason. And that was a time when I just had to be like, listen, you need to be patient with yourself. You could hike two miles today and it would still be a miracle that you made it two miles. It would be incredible that you had the wherewithal to get up and the willpower to pack up your tent and go two miles. Make it as far as you make it and cheerlead yourself every step of the way. And rather than beating myself up for not being able to keep up, celebrate how far I was able to make it with a busted ankle. Because that in and of itself is a huge accomplishment. So that was sort of the beginning of me realizing, like, I really need to be a lot more patient and a lot more loving and like tender to myself if I'm going to make this through because I can't be my own worst enemy right now. Isn't it so ironic that the person we are the most nasty to generally is ourselves? Yeah, completely. <laughs> to- oh, totally. And <laughs> that that was not something that I thought was going to be the major takeaways. But yeah, my, my, my self-talk was one of the biggest things that I ended up focusing on. I mean, you're by yourself so much, it, it makes sense, but it really just brought into sharp relief all the mean things I say to myself or the ways that I undermine my value or cut down my potential or, and it doesn't yeah. feel, it feels almost like natural in a way to beat yourself up in the moment. But when you cumulatively look at it, it's like you can put such a weight of negativity on your own shoulders. 
for no reason. Or you can just be like, hey, you're doing great. Good job today. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let us, let's celebrate the win. Yeah. It's so much easier to be kind to yourself. So yeah, part of being kind to myself early on was knowing like, listen, you can't, you can't gas yourself out right now. They're going to go ahead and that is fine. That is what it is. Yeah. What happened with your ankle? I mean, you were saying about high arches and stuff like that, but it, but just reading your journals, it sounded like you rolled it pretty good. So you either had a very severe, severe sprain or. Mm -hmm. So my ankle. Over time, the ankle itself actually just sort of worked its way out. I don't know, really. It would come and go, but it, it I had a lot of toe issues. Like, my toes ended up being my really bad thing. Yeah, I guess I, I don't, can't remember exactly what time my ankle sort of acclimated more. But I think it some of that up. was just, the, yeah, yeah, kind of. It just, it was just like, fine, this is still happening. I guess I got to get on board. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of that at the beginning was just the kind of, well, the continued strain of hiking every single day and the pack and everything. Yeah, thankfully, the ankle, that didn't persist. And I do have heel spurs or a heel spur in my left foot, which is where I got, yeah, my trail, my trail name was Spur. And that's where that. So it's so spur stuck, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was a heel spur related conversation. But uh, thankfully, that only flared up a couple times. And it, it didn't end up, I was really worried that that was going to be a thing. And I was going to go have to go get like a steroid shot which I've had to get a couple steroid shots in my heel for it before. And uh, they it hurts. <laughs> so I was not looking forward to it. But thankfully, that didn't flare too much. And I used a uh, soul brand insoles, S-O-L-E okay. brand. Um, and sometimes Superfeet, if Superfeet was the only thing that was there. But soul in particular was really great for high arches. Do it's tell. It's oh okay. Have you? Heard I, yeah, I have. I have high arches, and I seem to have a hot the the top of my foot over my arch is high as well. So I have issues with trying to tighten my laces there. Totally. And, and yeah, it's mm -hmm. not a good thing. I'm honestly, I'm in exactly the same thing. Have you heard? Have you used Soul Brand? I have not. But oh, so good. Like okay, they're super inflexible it's like very rigid plastic so there's no cushion there's no it, so when you feel it it doesn't feel like it's going to be pleasant to have in your shoe at all <laughs> but man it just it can it it makes it so that the whole of the the whole bottom side of your foot hits the ground with every tread versus the way that my foot is my heel hits and the ball of my big toe hits and then like somewhere along the side of my foot hits but those are the okay. only three points that make contact with the actual ground so all of the pressure of my foot goes to those three spots rather than being yeah. even. And the sole brand, I found more so than Superfeet, really evenly distributed the tread. And I love them. Like, so that, that was a brand that I never heard of or used until I was already on the trail and mm -hmm. became for sure like a big proponent of that. I'll check them out, definitely. Yeah, so was great. And super, yeah, Superfeet worked for sure as well. I used the green, the green ones. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's what... The, the the outfitters only had super feet so it, it, when you got a whenever i got new shoes i would get new insoles so right what what were you using for sh what were you using for shoes i started that, that support that i use merrells so they're okay. a little bit better they're a little merrells are a little better for wider feet um just the merrell moabs they're sort of middle of the line sort of basic shoe um it was what i'd practiced hiking in when i first started in california so i had some familiarity and it fit it, you know, it, it really is. I, I forget what other guests you had that said this, but it's like a glass slipper. You just put on that one shoe and it's going to be different for every person. There yeah. are absolutely going to be people that tell you you have the wrong shoes. And, oh, I heard those shoes are terrible, blah, blah. 
who cares if they fit your foot? If they let you, you know, walk for right. 2000 plus miles. Yeah. So, and I, there was one time when I tried to switch over to a Brooks Cascadia trail runner, but it didn't provide enough support for me. And giant holes ripped in the shoe within like a week. And I knew that they were going <laughs> to, like, I knew that they were going to rip, a, I mean, obviously, but when you spend $160, I, 160 bucks on like a pair of shoes are with the insoles and stuff. I was not expecting it to, to rip Blow out that fast. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, I switched away from the Brooks and went back to the Merrells. But yeah, they, they, they worked very well for me. They are nice. pretty, it's a pretty standard shoe, which is also nice because like at the outfitters along the way, you can not, maybe not guarantee that they're going to have Merrells, but there's a very good chance that outfitters are going to have them. So there's a reliability in that sense. Mm-hmm. You could oftentimes find last year's model for way discounted rates. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was definitely a fan of the Merrells. So you didn't, you didn't pre-buy four or five pair of shoes you were buying them along the trail as you were as your shoe was wearing out yeah i so i started in the pair that i had been hiking with in california and then i bought one other pair on i was at an outfitter i don't i think it was it was it, when i came home to cleveland to drop my stuff off when i moved away from california i was i was home for like a week a week and a half before i started the trail and i think it was some outfitter in the cleveland i found a good I found a really good price on last year's model. So I bought one pair and wore it in a little bit and had um, that set to me. But I, I really only had the time and wherewithal to sort of pre-prep one shoe. But I, I had also heard that, you know, your foot... I, I have both heard that this is true. I, I've heard people yeah, both say that this is true. And then other people say that this is like a, an urban legend that your foot size changes. Yeah. And it makes sense that there would be swelling or that there would be different muscles developing and stuff. But I, I've also heard some people say that that's just not the case. I, I have no idea. But I didn't want to spend I, – and I didn't have that too much money to spend on those. And I wanted to wait and see, like, is this even mm-hmm. going to be – do I need to go up another size or two? Or And I actually ended up – I did end up going up a little um, – I bought a size bigger, not as my foot – changed but just i it, having a little bit more r- roominess just helped my i don't know helped my comfort level so i did go up a size kind of just for comfort um but yeah but you didn't have issues with your foot uh expanding swelling no, or that kind no, of thing not any more so than i than i would say the average person but yeah it was really my, my toes just went to hell these blisters and calluses formed of my my ring toe on my left foot became my major nemesis on the trail like i i was worried about my back going out i was worried about my heels i was over my left ring toe was not on my list of suspected criminals but oh my god (laughs) my so my both i i came to learn that both of my ring toes underlap the toe next to them Mm. just a little just a tiny little bit which in regular life doesn't amount to anything but out there it formed on my ring toe, both of them, but the left one was the one that really, you know, took the hit. This razor sharp callus that then started cutting into the toe next to it. And then blisters formed underneath the callus. So I couldn't even, so to like, to, you could, to pop the blister, you really had to like get the needle in there because it was underneath mm-hmm. a really thick callus and so then I would have to tape that toe and then the tape chafed on the foot next to it. And it just became my left foot just went to hell in a handbasket. And 
by the end, there was a couple toes I was having to tape three times a day until okay. the and but I finally found a tape that worked. I tried every brand of any moleskin, athletic tape, a- anything to try to keep the toes like keep friction off of each other. The Injinji mm-hmm. socks. I tried whatever I could find, but by the time I started using the Injinjis, it was we were way past that point. Like my my toes were already. Maybe if I had started with them, it would have done a thing, but. There's this, it, it's like, the, it's like skin colored. It's other brands make it, but it's like a three M sports tape. It looks like the color of skin or a band aid. It's just this really soft tape. And I looked Do you know it up. What it was called. You can get back to me too. Yeah, I'll get back to you. I, I, it's just some basic name, um, but I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, okay. But there's a way that like, if you rip off a little piece of the tape and then rip off another little extra piece and put it in the middle, you can sort of make your own band aids. Where like the mm. the middle part that you're wrapping around the sore spot, this really soft, smooth, um, frictionless material. So you're both like taping the toe in place, but then also where it's rubbing up against the other toe is a really soft cushion and not moleskin or there's no adhesive on it. It just right. I found a way to make my own band-aids that worked, but after like go- like one night just googling like i need to figure something <laughs> desperation out. it it was yeah they they started then they then they started bleeding and yeah Ugh. that that was really of all of the things i mean you get all kinds of bumps and bruises and twisted ankles and all, all of mm-hmm. those things but man so I, when i pct i'm gonna have to have a I, like a whole plan of I, got, I have a whole triage plan of attack before like anything even goes wrong i think i'm gonna try yeah. starting with the injinjis to see if that can help the callus from forming in the or prevent the callus from forming in the first place no and, and everybody keeps telling me pct wise that the desert is hard because of all the sand mm-hmm. and yeah. it just does a number on your feet i'm um, sure it just yeah like grit that i'm sure that grit just grates on your foot sandpaper oh yeah yeah i'm sure that's that's tricky (laughs) how have your feet been now that you've returned to civilization like was there any lingering or lasting issues or it took a minute for the calluses and the blisters to go away and then there's i don't know if anybody else has talked about this with you but the first couple steps you take every day when you get out of your tent are this like explosion of pain. Have you heard of this? Like the hiker hobble sensation? I've heard of hiker hobble, but <laughs> yeah. Or, or I don't know if we're, yeah, if I'm using the term right, even in that sense, but, and maybe it wasn't as pronounced for some people, but you could for sure see who, who else was having the similar experience. Like after, you know, so much pressure on your feet all day, and then you lay down for eight or nine hours when you finally stand up and put pressure on your feet again, it just felt like somebody was whacking a hammer on my foot when I got out of the tent in the morning. And How and it only it? lasted for a couple steps. It was like, by the time I made it five steps in, the sensation had gone mm-hmm. away. But every single morning, the first couple steps were just like, okay, got to take a deep breath for this one. That lasted for a couple weeks after I got home. Oh, wow. Okay. And again, and it wasn't ever, you know, it wasn't profound enough to change my routines or anything, but it... uh. Yeah, bizarrely. Oh, yes, it was. It was a yeah memento I took with me for a little bit. Yeah, so that bizarrely that stayed even after a couple of weeks of not having like mm-hmm. pressure on my feet. But generally, no, no, no long-standing ankle or back or or hip mm-hmm. or issues or anything that that didn't mend itself. This ends part one of my conversation with Jake. Next week we'll bring you the second part 
But if you do want to reach out to him in the meantime, he can be found on Instagram at Jake Trex, all one word, or on his website, jaketrex.com. And links for Jake's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Jake for sharing his stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song, Try Again. We'd love to hear about your trail adventures as well. So please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider, and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.